The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I find that those people are settling. They're just settling and um, not fulfilling their highest potential because I feel like there's a lack of, you know, desire to to do more, to be more, um, to make greater impact. I feel like they're putting on the settle dress or settle pants and they're just happy and complacent and don't want anything more. And I think life is too short to be sitting in a job or place that you're not happy with because we only have one life. I mean, depending on what you believe in, but this physical life is short and why not make the most of it and be curious and learn and do more and be more. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Beccali. Today's issue, well, I'm excited because I have Naz Beheshti on the show. And Naz is the author of this magnificent book. As you can tell, I'm a bit of a messy reader. I kind of <laughs> underline everything. <laughs> Don't know. Everything is so important. It's called Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Well-Being. Meaning, Naz, that we can really choose to be at the height of our well-being or at our low of our well-being, right? So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, Naz, I, uh, as I just said uh, in the intro, I love the book because um, it really is the kind of book where you go like, oh my God, of course. It is so important to tell me in a way something that we all know deep down. But let me ask uh, you one question before going into the depth of why you wrote the book and what the book is all about. What is new and good today? What's new and good is my well-being. I'm feeling good. I was not feeling so great the other day after I got my uh, vaccination, my first vaccination, and I'm just so happy that I feel good, clear-headed, not nauseous like I was the other day. So I'm grateful for my well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I think gratefulness is something we're going to talk about later on as well. And the reason for everybody uh, why I ask this question, what's new and good today, is actually one of the key lines that I learned from this book, where instead of saying, so what's been going on, and you kind of straight away are inclined to go into a negative kind of spiral, you go like, okay, what is new and good? So you focus your mind on something totally different right from the beginning. And this is why I actually want to know why did you feel that you had to write this book, Pause, Breathe, Choose, Naz? Where did the inspiration actually come from? 
The inspiration came from a dream that I had back in 2014. It was February 14th, 2014, when Steve Jobs, my first boss and mentor, appeared in my dream. It was a very vivid dream. It was about a couple years after he had passed. And he told me that I need to write this book about how my first job impacted my life and career, my first job being at Apple as his executive assistant. And it truly was such an influential and impactful time in my life that really set me on the path to where I am today and all of my teachings, my holistic method. Um, so I was felt very compelled to start writing after that dream because I've only seen faces in my dreams three times in my entire life. And they were of very um, close and dear people in my life that had recently passed. And Steve Jobs was one of them. So I really took his prophetic words and began to write the very next day. And um, that's how Pause, Breathe, Choose uh, came to be. What I think is interesting that he said, well, you should write down the way I influenced you, <laughs> the way I inspired you. I'm like, how do you know you actually did? It was somebody like Steve Jobs saying that, right? Yeah. Well, he, he truly did. But at the time, I didn't actually even connect the dots and put it together until later because the things that he did and what I witnessed up close and personally as his executive assistant working with him every day really showed me how to crack the code on being successful and sustaining that level of success, which is most important. So what did you see? What were the key items you would say would set somebody like Steve Jobs apart from others? Well, back then, you know, employee well-being and mindfulness, taking care of yourself wasn't as common as it is today. And he really prioritized his well-being and had a mindfulness practice. He meditated daily. He ate really healthily and light to sustain his energy. And, you know, he was laser focused and, you know, exercised several times a week. He did all the things that, you know, I'm teaching today as a holistic approach to your well-being, including having strong relationships with uh, his family and, you know, loved ones. That's also part of it is that connection, not just self-care, but also connection with other people. And so he really had it all and that helped him be laser focused, be creative and um, innovative and, you know, ended up being the most, one of the most iconic visionaries of our time. Yeah. Not only visionaries, but somebody who also placed his visions into action and blessed us yeah. all with what we have, you know, in terms of our little gadgets. But this book and the story and this, uh, this conversation now is not about Steve Jobs. It's about you. And I think that's really important. So I wonder whilst he was well into his well-being and you being mm -hmm. so closely knitted with him in, uh, at work, where were you at that moment in your life in terms of health, in terms of your mindset, in terms of your emotional stability? I was so far off the spectrum of well-being. I was young, naive. You know, I had good genes and a fast metabolism. I was, you know, blessed with that. So I didn't really need to work hard in terms of, you know, exercise or the things I ate. But it definitely took a toll on me. So I'm definitely not condoning that. That was, you know, my lack of self-awareness at the time. I thought that, you know, uh, surprising Steve with a oatmeal raisin cookie was a 
actually healthy option for a dessert. And later that day, I found that cookie in the trash can. So my version of healthy was Steve's garbage, quite literally. He threw it away without even taking a bite out of it. So I really had no concept of, you know, um, what it would take to sustain my energy as I was snacking on Hershey Kisses all day long, like cups full of Hershey Kisses to sustain my energy because I didn't drink coffee. So that was my caffeine. And we all know that, you know, sugar just, you know, sustains you for a moment. And then you have that, you know, that high that eventually comes dropping down and crashing down and it's not healthy, but that's what I was doing. So I was pretty far from, you know, where I am today. My hair was falling out from stress. You know, Mm -hmm. I was really stressed in that job. It was very intense. And so uh, it usually shows up in my, you know, like bald head. I started yeah, yeah, I mean, like, like pussycats, right? Like, yeah, I was, shedding, I was shedding like a Persian cat. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was ridiculous. Um, but, you know, as I, as I continued in other jobs, like, so I continued, I worked at a um, tech startup and then I worked at AstraZeneca, pharmaceutical company in sales and Yahoo, which was the Google of its time. I learned how to, you know, start sustaining myself by experimenting, taking explorative action, you know, doing, you know, cleanses, eating better to sustain my energy, exercising, got into yoga. I mean, just different things that I start experimenting with that I realized, wow, this is like really the key to helping me, um, you know, improve performance, energy and fulfillment. So it was really helpful to kind of take note of what Steve was doing and then emulate that. And emulate that, absolutely. I remember my first job at Lehman Brothers straight out of university. It stressed me so out that I think within the first, I don't know, two or three months, I put on a stone and I was doing exactly the same thing. We didn't have Hershey's, okay, in Europe, luckily. We actually had chocolate that has chocolate inside a little bit of cocoa powder. But same thing, stressed out, brittle hair, eating all the time, thinking, okay, I'm doing everything wrong. But, you know, the whole trading room was having the same kind of diet. So there was no Steve Jobs around there. But, you know, we mentioned that already, or you mentioned that already, and that is mindfulness. And as this is at the moment such a buzzword, everybody goes, oh, you have to be mindful, you have to be mindful. A couple of things. A, I don't really think that many people really know what mindfulness is. And B, even if they do, how to get to the state of being mindful, not sometimes, but most of the time. Well, many people automatically equate mindfulness with meditation, which is a great start, but it's so much more than that. You know, uh, for me, it started when I was 18 years old, when I started doing yoga, which yoga for me was, you know, mindfulness in, in action and moving moving meditation. And so often people think that, you know, yoga, meditation, it's like a formal practice of mindfulness. But why should we leave that, you know, state of well-being on the yoga mat or on the, you know, meditation cushion when we could carry that all day long? So many people, like I said, is, is just equates it with a formal practice, but my approach and the way that uh, we should be looking at mindfulness is taking that formal approach into an informal way throughout your day, carrying it with you and having it translate into all of your choices. So one mindful choice begets another, and that's how we make better choices for a better life. But if we're not mindful, we're not aware 
of, you know, the choices that we make, what we're doing, then we're just kind of on autopilot and not making the best choices for, for our highest good. Yeah, absolutely. But how do you get to that state? Because when we're on autopilot, usually we are stressed, we run around like headless chickeners. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we don't even realize we are in that mode because we are in that mode. So what is the step to get us out of this autopilot and all of a sudden find our individual mindful moment and kind of step back? It's all about a consistent meditation practice. I mean, you practice daily, even multiple times a day. Uh, For TM, it's twice a day. I practice TM. But it's all about being consistent so that you could drop into that state of awareness at a snap of the fingers, at a drop of a hat, at all, at all times, anytime. And the more you meditate, the more you experience that feeling of awareness, awareness without judgment, then the more you could take it throughout the day. It's like a muscle that you have to um, flex and exercise and build because if not, if you just meditate once in a while because you're feeling stressed or you need to relax, you're not able to access that, tap into that feeling of uh, awareness, that alignment of your mind and your heart. Because really what it is, in, in my opinion, is it's quieting the chatter of your mind so that you can tap into and tune into your truest heart's desire. And so it's that alignment of your mind and your heart and and truly listening to accessing your authentic self. Yes. And the reason why I, you know, this book resonated with me, I also practice TM um, twice a day. I wish I could. Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. I've been, I've been doing this, oh my God, now 15 years. And my dad has been doing transcendental meditation since the 70s. And he's always tried to get me into it and kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever. But I had to come to a stage in my life where it was very close to burnout, where the only mm-hmm. thing I could do is, okay, either I go on drugs, okay, or I throw <laughs> myself out of the window, or I might start with, you know, transcendental meditation. So mm-hmm. I did, uh, I did learn it. And I do say it does make a huge difference. It does. But that is those 20 minutes or those twice 20 minutes. And there's bringing this into my day-to-day kind of mode. Okay. Keep the stress positive rather than going into a stage of negative stress and then autopilot Mm -hmm. is why pause, breathe, and choose really resonated with me because it's the pause that is the bridge for me. That is how I interpret being a consumer of your book now. Okay. And I might be totally off, but it's very personal that I thought, oh my God, she's right. Because this pausing is what we do for 20 minutes, but we can pause just saying, hey, just pause a minute, breathe. And all of a sudden, whatever your autopilot or, you know, your, your um, uh, reptile, reptile brain is about to do, yeah? Mm-hmm. You kind of pull it out again and go back into where you know, your prefrontal uh, cortex is. And, and that really brings you to a different state. And that for me is the mindful moment where you go, okay, I'm mindful about the choice I'm going to make. Absolutely. That's exactly what it's supposed to mean. I mean, pause, breathe, choose is mindfulness in action. That is how you translate your formal practice into an informal practice throughout your day. So I'm so glad you interpreted it that way as well and that you find that useful because that's exactly what it's meant to do. In fact, I have a, um, a recent story one of my clients shared with me about pause, breathe, choose and her way of using it where she used to be very reactive and her boss, the CEO of the company, 
was, um, you know, they were in some argument and it was a miscommunication and he was just kind of going off at her and she, instead of taking it personally and responding like reactively, she actually removed herself and said, let me be right back. I'll be right back. She had to go to the restroom. She actually went to the restroom, sat on the toilet and paused And she's like, I remember pause, breathe, shoes. I remember you saying this all the time. And she had read my book. She took a pause. She kept breathing till she calmed down. And then she said, I'm going to choose not to react. I'm going to choose not to take this personally. I'm going to choose to respond calmly. And so she returned and did just that. So the pause, breathe, shoes was her pause in that moment. And then she returned and was able to respond, you know, more wisely and, um, productively. Yeah. And that really makes a difference. It does yeah. make a difference and it can really choose, uh, kind of like um, determine, this choice can determine the trajectory of your career at the end of the day, because Absolutely. If, if she had snapped back at her boss, who knows? Okay. Let's right. move on. Let's move on Naz. And uh, now we talked about mindfulness, which is p- a part of MAP, your MAP strategy and go to the seven A's. And I have prepared a screen share where I took uh, a couple of shots from your book. So the MAP method, do you want to just talk us through this? So we talked about mindfulness and then there are the seven A's and the three P's. So that is that. Is that. Yes. So the MAP method is an acronym for my holistic approach to live your best life and my three guiding principles. So M stands for master mindfulness, as you see, which is fundamental to my method. A is for the seven A's to manage stress and build resilience. And P stands for promote yourself to the CEO of your well-being, as well as the three P's. And as a metaphor of an actual map, um, map helps you create and shape your path according to your life experiences and the meanings you attach to them. So the map method is akin to a business plan. And, you know, as a mindful map maker, you employ your personal compass, your intuition to navigate change and growth, taking empowered and aligned action to, to really create the experiences and outcome that you desire. You choose who you want to be and where you want to go as the driver, not the passenger of your journey. And so as you see, yes, here, it's the breakdown of the seven A's, which are really, um, tools that I've been using for so long, tools and strategies to upgrade your mindset and your behavior. And then the three Ps go more into a deeper, um, you know, purposeful way to live your life after you are equipped with how to beat burnout, manage stress and build resilience with the seven A's. Yeah, no, thank you very much for doing this because I think it's important that we get a little bit of an overview now so we can now drill a little bit deeper. And you mentioned it right at the beginning uh, of our conversation and that is, you know, the heart and mind connection or the lack of the connection. Again, there is something, okay, you know, you have to align your heart and your mind and da-da-da. It's like, yeah, sounds great, but how? So how is is that quiet moment, that pause that you're going to take, whether it's in a seated meditation or just taking a breather, you know, one minute, two minute breather to really quiet that mind so that you can listen to, to that, 
you know, your truest heart desires and whispers and, and see if what is going on up here is really aligned with what's going on down here, because sometimes they're not aligned. And we are just thinking from up here where we need to also be checking in with down here and making sure there is that alignment. So it's really about mindful self-check-ins throughout the day, which I also include in my book, which I do you know, sporadically throughout the day where I ask myself rapid fire questions. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you doing? Are you sitting up straight? Are you thirsty? You know, just rapid fire questions to just check in with myself and see, you know, where am I spending my energy and time? And I also love the uh, psychological framework of RWID, uh, relative weight of importance and duration to see what I'm giving, what weight and importance am I giving to my thoughts and for how long am I giving it? Does it deserve that much time and that much weight and importance or should I let it go and, and quiet this part down so I could get to the real truest authentic self-desires of my heart. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned also um, uh, Tony Robbins who said, uh, I think where focus goes, energy flows. So you have yes. to kind of weed out where do you put your energy? Is it really worth you know, what you're focusing on right now, all this energy and distraction for something from something that is more potentially more beneficial or more interesting? Now, you mentioned in your book the inner coach or the inner critic. And earlier on, you said, you know, that destructive or negative self-chatter. We all have that in us. Yeah. I sometimes think as a majority of our thoughts, you know, it's always this kind of questioning. Are you sure? Is that right? Oh my God, <laughs> da, 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 da. Instead of looking at the new and good, you know, like, okay, uh, look at the other way. Um, how do we really migrate from that inner critic, which seems to be so often so strong, to become an inner coach. Again, mindfulness is fundamental because if we aren't mindful that that inner critic yapping in our ears, which I also call the bad dog, who is, you know, represents uh, chronic stress, negativity, and is just very pessimistic, always saying, you know, the, all the negative things that are going on and, and highlighting a negative. If we're not aware that that's even happening, we're just going to listen to it and make that our reality. But if we are mindful and aware that no, 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 that is the inner critic, that's the bad dog. And I'm going to choose to starve that dog and now tap into my, the good dog, which is the inner coach, which represents positivity and use stress and a, a growth mindset. And I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to choose because I'm the CEO of my well-being. I'm going to choose to listen to my inner coach rather than my inner critic. So it's about being mindful and aware of it and not listening, starving the bad dog, feeding the good dog, and remembering that the, the dog you feed is going to be the life that you lead. So choose to feed the good dog. Yeah, I like that. On the other hand, I think, you know, sometimes this critique, these negative thoughts, they're also there to protect us from doing something silly. Yes, they are to a point, but you have to have that awareness to know, is it really um, trying to protect you for your own good, you know, best good, or is it really trying to be an obstacle and just weigh you down? So there's different ways, and that comes with wisdom, that comes with time and knowing what 
you know, is it just fear-based or is it um, like real in that it's trying to protect you? So that's a very good point. And I do agree with that because obviously if, you know, you want to go do something very extreme and your inner critic's like, no, no, don't, that might be dangerous or something. You want to give it, you know, or like you can't do that. You want to give it some thought and maybe like have a more um, pragmatic approach, but but it's often, um, you know, more easier, simpler to understand and differentiate, identify where that inner critic's intention is coming from. So it's about trying to figure out that intention today. Is that fear-based uh, or is this, you know, trying to help you? Yeah. So we have to be critical about the inner critique as to say, mm-hmm, exactly. and just question. And, and that is, I think, really, really important. We have to get into the habit of it. You were saying early on, you know, I do these self-check-ins. Now, that is a practice in us that needs to be yes. somehow triggered or come back to us. Hey, come on, check in. I mean, I've been studying Kabbalah for the last five years. So here's my little, you know, mm-hmm. we that we wear. And we also, we don't have the, uh, the good dog, the bad dog, but we have the good wolf and the bad wolf. And we say, you know, whatever wolf we feed uh, will be the stronger one and dominate our life. But this moment of the self-check-in and this kind of, okay, just pull yourself out. The trigger of these check-ins, how do we actually establish that habit most efficiently? Well, when I feel myself spiraling and I'm just going in circles, like there's redundancy and it's a pattern of negativity and I'm not getting anywhere. It's not helping me. I'm not getting anywhere that I'm not getting from a point of stress or anxiety to a, a point of like peace and calm, the needle is not moving, then I realize this is is not serving my highest good or purpose. And this is, is counterproductive. So I need to let it go because I'm not serving anything. Yeah. This is like useless. <laughs> no, absolutely good, good point. So it is the constant valuation, evaluation, and you can only yeah. do that when you're mindful, when you are there in the moment. Not thinking yes. about the future or a loss in the past. And, yeah. and this is where you were saying over and over again, you know, it, you know, it all starts with that mindfulness there. Exactly. Um, it's fundamental. Uh, it's fundamental. And I, I love the way you, you uh, kind of weaved into your book also the fog method on how to establish mm-hmm. a habit, you know, which is baby steps and it's repetitive and having that trigger, for example, you know, I always try to do like weights before I brush my teeth. So every time I go and brush my teeth, I go, no, hang on, I need to do weights. So I have my dumbbells <laughs> on my way to the bathroom. Kind of like, okay, pick yeah. those up and do it. That's great. Yeah, but these are these kind of little silly things um, you do, but they do work. Uh, you know, I, I read Atomic Habits, great book. Uh, I don't know if, you, if you've um, read that one. So amazing. But all of this really is, are these very important tools that we have to apply. And that is one of your, uh, your A's as well. And I wonder about the entire reason why it is so important to be proactive about your well-being, because we do live in, live in a VUCA world, you know, everything is just a transition, uh, uncertain, you don't know where it's going. It's so super complex and it's stressful, right? Mm-hmm. And again, everybody says, I'm so stressed. But again, <laughs> but again people, yeah, people don't really know that there are different types of stress. There's mm-hmm. good stress, there's bad stress, there's acute stress, and there's chronic stress. And I think the one I would like to pick up on, which you also described really well in your book, Nas, is how not to move from acute to this chronic stress, which is long-term damaging. Right. So the ACE method is about acing stress through um, 
awareness and uh, through changing, you know, your mindset and then through empowered action. And so I also have a, like a triangle, an inverted triangle in my book where it says to avoid, you know, you want to toggle between the acute stress and the use stress, which are necessary and desirable stresses. And then at the bottom of the triangle is that chronic stress, which is a trap of, you know, chronic stress. And when you when you toggle between the two, acute and use stress, you could avoid the, the trap of chronic stress. But often, you know, we are, we do experience chronic stress, especially amidst a pandemic where chronic stress is defined as, um, characterized as feelings of hopelessness and helplessness for greater than six months. And this pandemic has been going on, as we know, for almost, you know, over a year. And so many people have been feeling, you know, chronic stress at this point in their lives. But when we choose to shift our mindset about it, because sometimes we can't shift our, or change our situation, right? Some things are out of our control and I'm not saying you could change anything and everything, but what we can control is changing our mindset about it, right? So shifting and trying to um, see a positive or a lesson out of the situation, even if there is no positive, some things are just terrible and there is no positive, but the lesson becomes positive because if you learn something from it, it is positive because you're evolving from as a result of it. And then you shift your mindset to get out of that trap of that chronic stress and into either acute stress or use stress. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the stress question for me is, and you said that too, is like stress is what you make of it. Yes. Uh, and, you know, you do sometimes call people, oh, you're just a drama queen. Because <laughs> what they see as stressful for you is kind of like, so not stressful or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, you're totally stressed about something and somebody else says, oh my God, what do you get your knickers in a twist, as the English would say, <laughs> but, all right? And for me, this kind of epiphany happened when I became a mother. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh my God, what sort of crybaby uh, was I before having a child? And what can I handle now? I'm like ready for the world as a mother. But um, just to say that stress is really what you make of it. And for me, stress was always, I called it, I'm feeling charged. And that is my, my bridge to say, I'm not stressed, I'm charged. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like my, my proactive reaction, which just happened, that I go like, no, I'm stressed. I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm stressed. Like, okay, bring it on. Um, which at some point, of course, <laughs> you're also kind of flat lying at some point. But for me, it was always a, a bridge to just make the most of that energy that I'm feeling or that, that pressure that I'm feeling going like I'm charged. And instead mm-hmm. of going into reverse gear, I would actually heighten the gear. That's wonderful. And that's, you know, the power of language also helps you with your mindset that I'm going to take an empowered stance and say, I'm charged and take it on head on rather than, you know, oh, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, whatever the case, and feel disempowered and not uh, wanting or willing to shift that mindset and take empowered action. Yeah, winner or victim, absolutely. And you just uh, mentioned also learning, Naz. And I I think in the three Ps, there was uh, the pain. Again, uh, a line I loved where you said, okay, pain happens to everybody, but suffering is a choice. Tell us a bit more about it. The different stages of pain where it could be, you know, shock and denial and and then soon acceptance, right? And forgiveness. And 
it's, it's sometimes goes through waves and comes, it's not linear, but the point is, is to eventually in your time, when you've gone through the stages, when you're ready to learn from that pain, to evolve from that pain and end the suffering in a way that you treat pain as your greatest teacher for growth instead of choosing to continue to suffer and uh, define yourself by that pain. You want to take that empowered uh, mindset to, to teach or to make it your um, teacher for growth. Yeah. And I wonder to what extent that is DNA based or not the reaction to pain, because, you know, we all go through tough times and yeah. you have those characters that um, are made by it. You know, it either makes you or it breaks you any kind of traumatic experience. To what extent is it really a DNA question that you are just a little bit less proactive or self-help orientated uh, or not? Well, I mean, I'm not a you know, scientist to know exactly, but when you build your resilience reserves from an early age and you are more resilient, you are able to address and handle that pain, you know, more effectively and probably, you know, to, to the best of your um, advantage. But when you aren't resilient, when you don't have the tools and the strategies, then it's harder to handle that pain. And it's much easier to sink into the trap of, you know, chronic stress. And that could evolve into dis-ease and, and, you know, a lot more things when you don't have the tools, when you are not equipped to handle it. Yeah, and I guess also the narrative around you. I mean, yes. I know if I if I look at, at people always since I was a child, always love those stories from nothing to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, those people that have really had tough childhoods, no money, uh, you know, always on red alert and all of a sudden turned out to be such successful, kind, mm-hmm. sharing people because they grew up in that way and that made them strong, but kind at the same time, not always, but this was always for me kind of like, wow, you know, look how they handled their crap. Right. Right. And sometimes when they're in a family or if they see a lot of pain around them or, or, you know, disappointments or um, failure, they do the opposite and want to not emulate that, right? So that's actually a motivator not to to respond in that way, in, in the way that the people around them have. Yeah, absolutely. And many people say you become either like your parents or exactly the opposite. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, absolutely. I love it. Okay, and, and now in terms of energy, prana. Okay, prana is a second part of your uh, of your P's, your three mm-hmm. P's, and this is where also prananas comes from the the name of your company. I don't think a lot of people know what prana is. Prana is a Sanskrit word for uh, life, vital life, and energy, also known as breath. And when our prana is flowing freely we are able to optimize, you know, our energy and everything show up as our best self, like show up, energize and engage in all areas of our life. However, there are times when prana can become blocked by our, you know, um, you know, dis-ease, by our uncertainties, our fears, our, you know, stress, especially. And so when it's blocked and not flowing as freely, we're not able to show up as our best self. And how do you unlock? How do you unlock is by 
managing your stress by breathing through it. I mean, breathing, moving, just optimizing, adopting that healthy lifestyle to keep that prana flowing freely and healthily. Yeah. And I think it's Win Hoff, yeah, the Iceman, who taught me. Oh, yeah. God, breathe. Because yeah. honestly, I don't know about you, Naz, but I mean, I do catch myself that I don't breathe because I'm on the device, I'm on the computer, fully focused in my flow, but yeah. there ain't anything flowing in terms of oxygen, right? That's breath. Yeah. Prana is breath, vital life force. And so, Often when we're stuck, even like in a yoga pose, I think I give the example in my book about when we are contorted too much in a pose, we end up, the first thing we do is we hold our breath because we're just stuck in a pose and it's really difficult. And that's in life too. When we are stressed or um, against some challenge or obstacle, we tend to stiffen up and hold our breath more. We're not having, you know, um, deeply inhaling and exhaling. We're We're breathing shallow from up here rather than down here. So, it's all about releasing into it. Like even with the pose, release into it a bit more and take that deep breath. It will help you actually get into the pose more and, and get into whatever situation you are more with ease, right? Yeah, yeah. even though it is quite counterintuitive at times, especially if you're a beginner at yoga and you have to really concentrate on having that tension in your muscle, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's all good. <laughs> I'm still breathing. Yeah. No, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's, yoga is far too heavy for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Just, like, no patience, right? But I meditate at least that one. <laughs> um, okay, purpose. Wow, I like this one. I always like to talk about purpose and how to find your purpose. Before getting more into purpose, what, you know, how is your approach to finding purpose? Well, there's two ways. I, I talk about purpose um, on a macro level, the higher, you know, bigger level of your life's mission and message, your life's purpose. And then not everybody knows that, right? So what, what that is for themselves. So then on a micro level, there's the purpose of your daily intention and how you choose to um, live your day and how you go about your daily work and, and your tasks and what you do. So the way to practice daily intention is to tune into all your senses and, and just ask, what is my purpose or intention in this moment, right? So the phone rings or an email or text comes in, ask yourself, you know, what is my purpose or intention in this moment? Will this distract me um, or take me away from my flow state? And, you know, go, you, you may have like an agenda, for example, for, for a meeting. Um, you want to ask what is the intention for that meeting? What do you want to, what is the outcome? What do you want to um, have beyond just like check marking the box of what this meeting is about? So it's about going beyond what you want to, you know, do or cover in the meeting and really pinpointing, you know, the larger intent of, of, um, the outcome and the intention. So like some simple, you know, um, ways you could do this is like before getting out of bed, you can intend to have, you know, let's say um, an exploratory day or a productive day, or before you go into a meeting, intend to speak more or listen more, right? Like be more mindful about your intention. And that's how you would do your daily intentions. As for your life's 
purpose um, mission, I would say, you know, get outside of your comfort zone and take explorative action. I mean, that's what I did. And that's what a lot of my clients do that, you know, is very effective. Explorative action is when we, you know, make active choices without certainty, right? Without um, any guarantees. And it enables us to test our limits you know, and set a new standard for ourselves and realign with our intentions and our authentic self. So, you know, do your best to move outside of your comfort zone and that place that you live without fear and choose a frequency or duration, um, whether it's like once a day or once a week to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. And then, and ask yourself, if you don't know what that is, like ask yourself, what would I... Uh, what would I do um, that would energize me if I knew I couldn't fail? And also another thing to keep in the back of your mind is what kind of legacy do I want to leave? You know, it doesn't have to be as huge as, you know, Steve Jobs' legacy or be written in history books, but, you know, your legacy is whatever you want it to be, whatever, you know, makes you happy, makes an impact. So asking those questions, taking explorative action is really helpful in finding the bigger, you know, life mission and purpose. And eventually your heart will lead you to your life's passion um, and purpose. So tap into your heart by quieting your mind, like we talked about, so that you can hear your heart's true desires, right? To find your passion is to discover your highest potential for you know, creativity, energy, intention, clarity, and purpose. So what's the legacy for you that you want for to leave me, behind? For me is, is making a dent in the universe, making meaningful impact with every person I come in contact with and my coaching in the companies that I work with and, and really helping people, empowering people to become the CEO of their well-being. Yeah. You see, I have many debates about this out of your comfort zone because a lot of people say, Patricia, oh my God, the things you do, why do you do them? You know, <laughs> like cold showers or intermittent fasting. You know, I try everything. I'm like, okay, let's push my boundaries. Why do you do this? What do you, what are the benefits? So I was thinking about these questions and, you know, I want to ask you whether you had these kind of debates. And my, my conclusion was I am a you know, habitual, uh, addicted learner. Mm-hmm. I always want, I'm always curious. I want to know more. I want to, I'm, I'm, you know, I just want to know how does mm-hmm. this feel? Where can I go? Is this good? And so does it bring me benefit or not? And a lot of people go like, no, I'm actually quite fine. I'm not curious. I'm good the way you are. And I am maybe uncomfortable with yourself, Patricia. This is why you have to do all that crap. And I'm just thinking, I don't know. What do you think? Absolutely not. I think to be curious is is just to make you a more interesting, evolved, and innovative person because curiosity leads you to learning more and also allows you to connect all the dots. And, and that's what creativity is really, is like connecting all those dots and creating something you know different and connecting dots that maybe other people haven't connected before. And you need to be curious to do that. So uh, curiosity is one of a great um, value and, you know, characteristic to have. I, you know, I'm very pro being curious. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's the motto of Mentorate TV. it. you know, like if you stay curious, you're always open to mentors and other people's stories and yeah. sort of insight they bring to the table, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, now um, I, I wonder now about uh, purpose, and I have to kind of bang on about it because a lot of people, uh, I think, live ne not necessarily with a purpose. They just live. They have to survive. They have to go to, to their work. They have got obligations, be it in a family or financially. And they just think, oh, this old chatter of those people that can afford talking about purpose. What do you say to these people? This isn't very nice, but I find that those people are settling. They're just settling and um, not fulfilling their highest potential because I feel like there's a lack of, you know, desire to, to do more, to be more, um, to make greater impact. I feel like they're putting on the settle dress or settle pants and they're just happy and complacent and don't want anything more. And I think life is too short to be sitting in a job or place that you're not happy with because we only have one life. I mean, depending on what you believe in, but this physical life is short and why not make the most of it? and be curious and learn and do more and be more, you know, um, that's just my opinion. I, yeah. I'm always a seeker of, yeah. of learning and doing and being more. Yeah. I'm, I'm so with you. And I wonder, you know, maybe it is their choice. All right. To just so, stay yeah. in the comfort zone. And they said, I paused, I did take my breath and I did <laughs> choose to stay in my comfort zone. And that's yeah. fine. As you yeah. said earlier, it's not for us to judge. We all live yeah. that one physical life as we know consciously for now. Yeah. And whatever soul uh, is migrating or not is again up to whatever you want to believe. Last one um, to wrap up this, this wonderful conversation, Naz, and that is let's talk about the corporate implementation possibilities of Uh, of this technique, the map technique that you uh, outlined, how do you approach um, the corporate world, you know, B2B world to see a sense in looking after their people by giving them the tools to look after themselves? How do you do it? And what is your response so far? Or what is the response so far? Well, I take a very tailored and holistic approach, which is different than a lot of the bigger companies, tech companies that are kind of cookie cutter and they just, it's like a one size fits all employee well-being program. Whereas I have a, um, an assessment, a corporate wellness assessment that I start with where I actually work with the executives and leaders and HR of the company to first understand What does wellness even mean for them? And what is their vision? Because every company is different in terms of what wellness or well-being, employee well-being is. So I first understand, it's a very consultative approach to understand what uh, wellness means to them, what their vision is, what is their you know, desired outcome, what have they done, what, have, what has not worked, what has worked. And then really tailoring a program based on their needs and goals and their company's culture and demographics and also what their employees want. So I actually do employee interest surveys to um, not assume I know that they want mindfulness or yoga or, you know, coaching. I, you know, have our team ask them through surveys. And then when we have all our information, that process already is, is like an extra step that most companies don't do because they assume they know what they want, but everybody is so individualized. 
And, and then I create a, you know, tailored program that best suits their needs and their goals. And that it's been very well received because it's so tailored and the more tailored it is, the more effective it is, right? Because it's, again, what might work for one company over here may not work for another company here. So I try to, you know, really make it as tailored as possible. And then my holistic approach. So a lot of people think about, you know, employee wellness as just like, you know, nutrition, some diet guidelines and some, you know, fitness, like fitness and nutrition. Those are the big things. But because my holistic approach is is so, um, you know, varied in that it's not siloed, it's how all areas of one person's employee's life are connected and a happy, healthy employee is going to be more satisfied and have more intrinsic uh, motivation and engagement to do well for the company. So in turn, you know, it's a win-win. The employer and the employee benefit from investment and investing in the employees. So um, it's very well received because of those two factors of it being very customized and very holistic in nature. Yeah, absolutely. And the less sick days they call in, the better efficiency, yeah. you know, and uh, uh, long-term productivity. And at the end of the day, any company, any entity is what? A bunch of people that need to function at their best, right? Right. I, I actually, prana nas, I, I call the employees their prana. Like their employees are their life force because without the employees, the company has nothing. So you might as well treat your employees really well and invest in their well-being so that they can be happy and healthy, but also produce well and, and you know, have high performance so that in turn the company does well too. So it's really a win-win situation. You're an absolute winner. Now, fantastic <laughs> to have had you on the show. Great, great book. I can only recommend this. Pause, breathe, choose, become the CEO of your well-being. And it's not blah, blah. This is really hands-on <laughs> tools that you can use, um, uh, be it you as a boss, be it you as a family member, be it you as in just you wanting to make a dent in the universe like Nas is doing. Thank you so much for being <laughs> with us here on Mentor TV, Nas. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. And thank you, my dear Mentory TV community, for having joined us yet again for a fabulous conversation, this time with Naz Beheshti, the author of Pause, Breathe, Choose, Get the Book, and Stay Curious. See you soon. Bye. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation Podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.